0: You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 45. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Butzbach. So, my friends, I am so excited. Today, I have Dr. Fario Michaud. She is a hospice and palliative medicine doctor in Hawaii. She posts some of the most beautiful pictures on her Instagram. So if you follow her, the reason to do that is even for nothing else just to see her amazing Hawaii pictures. But she also has a podcast called Writing Your Last Chapter. It is an amazing amazing resource for people who are coming towards the end of their journey with cancer and with really anything. But she also has started a coaching group for physicians to help physicians really live intentionally. And I'm so excited to have her. I will tell you guys, this is our second go of this. We had a bit of a snafu the last time and ended up not hitting the record button. So we did this amazing podcast for you guys. And It just disappeared into the nether. So we're going to do a redo of this for you, but I decided that that might be one of the rites of passage of doing a podcast. So I'm so excited I get to talk to her again. I win.
1: Yes. And you know, I'm happy to be here. You know, who says there are no second chances in life, right?
0: There's a second chance for everything in life.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And I love what you do and what you stand for. So when you sort of reached out to me through this beauty of social media, I was absolutely honored. And I love what you do. And I love the message that you share with your audience. And like you said, I want to say, even though my podcast is about living your best life in serious illness, but it's also about how to have good conversations around difficult situation Whether you're a physician or a patient, I think that we all could learn, myself included, how to better have difficult conversations at the end.
0: Oh, so true, isn't it? I mean, really, I think that for me, even listening to your podcast, there's so much that's applicable at other times because what's applicable in the sort of most challenging times of our lives is clearly applicable in other places as well. I've spent some time reading your blog posts as well, and there's so many little pearls of wisdom in there that I've really enjoyed personally.
1: I'm so happy to hear that. And I'm so happy to be here and sharing whatever conversation we'll have this time around with your audience today.
0: So tell me a little bit about how you got into coaching from your hospice and palliative care work. Yeah, you know,
1: it's very interesting If you know people who do palliative care and hospice, there is a type of person that's drawn to that type of work. And I always joke that we're the only subspecialty, us and geriatrics, that we do extra training for less money, because (laughs) I was making way more money as a hospitalist than I did as a palliative care. So truly, it has to be your calling. Truly, you have to feel like this is a purposeful work. And I genuinely enjoy doing that. Having said that, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is difficult. I mean, I think that you as a radiation oncologist have the privilege of caring for the whole spectrum of human illness. And I don't want to say majority, but I would say 50 50%, right? Like 50% of your treatment may be palliative and the other 50% may be curative. Yeah,
0: I think probably for me, even more than that, because I do predominantly breast cancer. And we know that the cure rates for breast cancer in this day and age, even for sort of the worst presenters, is over 70%. So the bulk of my people are coming into this with curative intent. And it's less and less people along the way that are palliative. But it is, it is such a privilege to be able to treat people for curative intent and know that I'm going to be with them for the long haul. But also I really have enjoyed the palliative aspect of this because I think just like you've said, there's something to be said for having the hard conversations and being the one who tells a patient, you know, it's okay if you've had enough, it's your decision. And when your body says it's time, then that's the right answer. And I think sometimes maybe we could have these conversations sooner.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I love that you said that. So, my husband is a radiation oncologist as well. And he sometimes tells me that he feels like patients are ready, but they're looking into their physician for permission. It's almost like right. you this gatekeeper of saying, it's okay if enough is enough. And it's very interesting because every time people tell me why I ended up trying to start a business as a life coach, I have to go back to say why I went to have a pivot in my career from hospital medicine to being a palliative care physician. And I felt like we were at this revolving door in the hospital as a hospitalist because patients would come in with bad valve that was not surgical, would get better, leave, and they'd come back. And no one was having what I call a medical pause. And I was always the one that I was like, listen, it's okay that I have 18 patients to see. Let me pause and have a conversation and see if they want to keep doing this, because otherwise, I always talk that the emergency room is a conveyor belt for yeah. very ill patients to go straight to the ICU. And from the ICU, if they're lucky enough, they get downgraded to either PCU or telemetry, and then they leave to go to skill facility and they get sick and they come back.
0: Yeah. Right,
1: and then family's like, why isn't she getting better? And and I thought like, well, let's just pause for a second. If she's eighty-seven years old and has seven things on comorbidity list that are not gonna get better, instead of hoping for her to go back to where she was, where she was gardening and caring for the grandkids, can she hope for something new? Can she hope that if her time is limited, maybe focus on symptom control and what's quality of life? Because as physicians, we all offer what we have to offer. So what I mean is a patient can be dying in the ICU and the cardiologist will offer pacemaker, their nephrologist would offer hemodialysis. Every single thing that we can offer, we offer. My question was always like, is this person gonna survive the hospitalization? Yeah. You know, and that would make the docs pause. You know, you go through four years of medical school, you go through your training, and some people have advanced specialized training. You can't come to someone with all those tools in your hand and say, How about if you don't use
0: any of the tools
1: that I have in my pocket?
0: Like that is never the option, right? We feel like we're failing if we do that. I think that as physicians, We're trained that if we don't do something, we're failing the patients. And that's actually such a negative way to to deal with this. And it does put patients on that constant conveyor belt of into the hospital, out of the hospital, into the hospital. And so I love the thought of trying to have these conversations as families earlier on in the whole process. One of the things that my hospital has started offering is what we call life care, which is not palliative care. It's getting the team involved earlier on, and they do some really, really amazing work early on in the patient's cancer journey with their goals. And what is your goal? You know, how long do you want to be doing really aggressive treatment? And is there a point in time when you want to stop and be focused more on symptom management and comfort and quality of life? it's such a blessing for patients to have that discussion when they are well and feeling good and they're healthy.
1: Yeah. And I think that's so powerful. And I'm so glad that your medical group offers this. And, you know, for the longest time, a lot of people were resistant to palliative care because we're better or worse, we are in the same bucket as hospice. So my board is the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine. So Of course, when people hear palliative, they're going to be like, I'm not hospice, am I? Or I actually hear people say, she's not palliative, is she? Like, we are all palliative. Palliate (laughs) means to cloak. It means to take away suffering. And any stage of your disease, if you want, I always say, listen, plan A is we go all in, we pull out everything we have to do, and the goal is the cure. That's what you want. That's what we want. But, you know, that plan A actually leads to let's talk about the what if, let's talk about the plan B. Because I think what happens is when people have serious illness or chronic illness or terminal disease, everyone feels like they need to be the cheerleader. Everyone feels like they need to focus on plan A, which is fine. We're all in it. That's what we're doing. We understand. But that for someone who has, let's say, pancreatic cancer with metastatic disease, I, if I was given that diagnosis, I want to be the one that has every chance to survive. So if that chance is 20%, 30%, I also, part of that conversation, want to know what happens after I figure out I'm not the 30%. Right. Let's talk about that. And I don't think that comes up in the conversation. And physicians feel like by going to plan A, plan B, they're taking away the hope. Whereas you're not. You're just discussing
0: all the options, right? I think that sometimes patients also have this feeling of, if I talk about the worst case that could happen, I'm jinxing myself or I'm bringing that on. But again, like I see patients who, the time to have that conversation comes and goes, and then they're at a point where, you know, everyone's scrambling and their families are trying to make decisions that have never been discussed. And I think it's just such a benefit to have some sort of plan. I actually did a podcast with my father a couple of weeks ago, and my father is a four-time cancer survivor of four different cancers, which is crazy, but is now struggling with Alzheimer's. And we as a family have had a plan in place for a very long time of what do we want to do? You know, at some point when he can't care for himself and doesn't recognize any of us. We want to know that he is in agreement that then this is not how he wants to live so that we can go to our plan B. And I hope that it's a long way off, but you know, it's one of those things that looking at where he is, he's 80 and he's got Alzheimer's, which is not something that there's any cure. So we know we're going to get to that at some point.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Actually, this is a very good point that you bring up and we talk about, you know, planning. And I think part of that conversation is not to take away hope. Part of that conversation is plan ahead because what happens is, first of all, people's trajectory changes, right? Like for example, Mm -hmm. I always say that I love running. And if for whatever reason, my kidneys fail today and somebody says, Fariel, we need to put two nephrostomy tubes in you, I'm like, no, you're not. Like, how am I going to run with two nephrostomy bags? But if the alternatives, I will die. The alternative is I would end up on dialysis. Okay, like sign me up. So what I am okay with now and what I'm not okay with 5, 10, 15 years down the road, that is the importance of ongoing conversation. Every time I bring Mm -hmm. this up, they'll say, oh, I've done my advanced care directive. Well, yeah, you did that when you had no disease. For example, my advanced care directive whatever says right now, it's probably going to apply if I have a freak accident, right? Or if I have an unknown aneurysm in my brain that's going to burst. As far as I know, I don't have any disease. But say I have a progressive degenerative neurological disease where every month my life is different. Well, at that point, I don't think I want a feeding tube, right? right? So I think it's important to know that these are like a live document. They're not one and done. So kind of going back to some people get jinxed. I'm so glad you brought this up because I think this crosses a lot of people's minds, especially culturally. So before moving to Hawaii four years ago, I lived in California for 10 years in Northern California. There's a very large Hmong population. And in, you know, lotion culture, you can't bring the word death. Like the second you Mm. say it, you just pretty much sentence the family. So I think that What's important when we go in to have these conversations, so before even going plan A, plan B, we kind of approach patients and ask people, some people when they are struck by an illness would like to know all the details, and some people don't. Which one are you? When we go by some people do it this way, some people do it that way, you sort of take away the judgment. And if they say, I don't want to know, they don't feel like you're passing judgment. They're like, okay, she's given me options. I'm going to go to the option of, I don't want to know. Some people protect their own mind by not wanting
0: to know the what ifs. I think that's so true. I think that we see that even in our own lives. I had a son who had open heart surgery when he was eight weeks old. At that point, I was an attending in radiation oncology and to the surgeon's surprise, I did not show up for the surgical consultation. My husband took the baby and went to the appointment and he's like, where is the mother? And my husband said, she knows plenty of what can go wrong. She doesn't want to hear anything else. If she hasn't thought of it yet, great. She'll sign the consent form but she does not want to hear anything else you could tell her of what might go wrong. And so, you know, I think we have these moments in life where we're like, you know, I know enough of what could be bad, you know, here, I don't need to add to it. And that's a very valid place to be. You know, there's no right or wrong and different times in our lives, we're going to feel differently about whether we want all the information or whether we want to just be, you know, sometimes happily naive.
1: And that is so insightful. Ultimately, the only way you can manage your mind is to have awareness and just notice what you think. Like the fact Mm -hmm. that you're like, listen, I know when they run over everything, death is going to come up, all these things. And you know, right? It wasn't that you were hiding your head in the sand. You knew enough that you didn't want to expose yourself to more of. And I think that's noticing. I think that that's, awareness is very positive way of managing your mind. Even if you are avoiding it to realize I am avoiding it and it's okay.
0: Yeah. I know bad things could happen. I don't want to spend the six hours of his surgery thinking about all the things that he tells me could go wrong that I haven't already come up with because let me tell you all of us in medicine can come up with a ton of things that could go wrong, (laughs) but you know, I just wanted to be able to spend that time, really focusing my energy on thinking that he was going to get through it and he was going to come out healthy and whole. And that was my decision in that moment. You know, I knew there were things that could go badly that I might not have been aware of. and I accepted that that part. Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that that's very good. Um, it's a very valuable point you bring up. but what happens when we go into palliative care, consultation, sometimes we feel like there's all sorts of dynamics. I mean, I love palliative care because when I walk in the room, I have no idea where anybody is, even though everyone's on the same team. Some people are very much like cheerleader and don't want to hear anything negative. And the patient himself or herself really wants to know, because sometimes what's important is knowing especially for end of life things would lead to planning. Right. I never go in there and yank people out of their denials or wanting not to know that information because sometimes it serves a purpose. But I feel like it's it's on to us to be very honest. And
0: if people want to know, tell them all the facts and have them decide. Right. Right. I actually feel like we are taking something from patients if we don't share that information. We're taking from them the ability to spend their last bit of time with their families to say the things that they really want to say and to really do what they feel like they need to do. So I feel very strongly that these conversations should be happening. But I want to take a moment and sort of turn this around because I think it's amazing. You've gone from being palliative medicine and hospice care to really driving physicians to be intentional in their living and enjoying the time that they have now and really focusing on today. So how did that come about? You know, it's so good because you I, I joke that I went from a
1: death coach to a life coach. <laughs> I felt like I've gone to the other side of the mountain. And I see where people are. I see what people focus on. I see people trying to make peace with what was important to them at the very end. And then I come back to my life, my regular life surrounded by physicians and other people that I'm working with, people running around, their hair on fire. They don't have enough <laughs> time to this. Every single January, people have a new resolution to lose that 10 pounds again. People want to have a home that's clutter-free. People don't have enough time. I just feel like all these things that we are really busying ourselves with every single day is robbing us to enjoy this life. That if I were to go on the other side of the mountain and grab that person who has seven weeks to live, I don't think that person would care, right? And I'm not here to say, hey, don't care about it. Go blow your money and go to Bora Bora for eight months. I'm just saying, is there a way that you can really be good in your skin and love the life you're living right now and really try to push away all these judgment that we practice ourselves, especially physicians. I mean, we are terrible because we have we have just been in a pressure cooker to get to where we are. And then you come out and someone is like, hey, how about some self-care? They're like, what? Like, where has self-care been while well, I was in the pressure cooker for eight years? You know, I still practiced as a palliative care physician. So I'm constantly this dichotomy of at the very end, people fighting for more time and how they would fill that more time. Right. And then come back with these people that don't have a you know, expiration date. And the time that they are given, I don't want to say they're wasting, but they're not appreciating right. to the point that just at the end, they're like,
0: oh, how wonderful is life? Right. I think that that's something that is, for me, one of the greatest blessings of my career in radiation oncology is I get the daily reminder that life is short, and we have no guarantee, and you don't know what tomorrow has. And so if your day goes by today and you don't enjoy it and appreciate it. It's gone. We don't get those days back. They are here only today. And then they're behind us. You know, you don't get a redo of these. Unlike our redoing this, this podcast, we don't get a redo of the days that we squander playing on our phones or bitching about work we don't get a redo of them. So let's live intentionally. Let's really love each and every day, or at least some part of each and every day. You know, there are days that suck and I'm not loving them, but I, you know, I try every day to find a little bit of something that really brings me joy because I want every day of my life to have some joy in it.
1: Yeah. And you know, I think life coaching just gave me the tools to communicate this to people. So it was It wasn't that I didn't know. I always had the urgency. Like when I talk to my children, like when they want to go skiing and they're like, I don't know how to ski. I'm like, I don't know how to ski yet. I've always been the kind of person to really, I have two girls to instill them this growth mindset and just be very intentional about how we live our lives. You know, I I was a Waldorf mom for the longest time, completely screen-free home, and my kids would play with sticks and stones for hours on end. And so I have a natural tendency to mindfulness. I have a natural tendency to get up and go outside, be outside every day. I don't care if it's 10 minutes, five minutes, just live your life. And so a lot of these things, I was that way. So it's not like all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, being a life coach is cool. But I think what happens is learning what a life coach can do for you, and going through the training to be given these tools, so I can share the tools, was completely mind boggling, because I felt like in palliative care, you know how you said these conversations need to happen earlier, we always talk about you want to be more upstream. And then I thought, what if I go way upstream? <laughs> like, what if I caught people before they fell, right? Like, yeah. what if I can have this conversation with people before they have serious illness, like, what's most important to you? If you had 24 hours, if you had six months to live, how would you live that now, not when you're oh. ill? So, my whole mission is living your bucket list today and not just go to, you know, Machu Picchu, but Every day, live your life so intentionally that at the end, you're like, I'm so happy to be here,
0: you know? Yeah. I feel the exact same way. You know, we're in the same place. Our household is mandatory dinner together, TV off, all the kids at the table, even if they don't want to eat right then, even if they say they stink because they just got back from rowing and, you know, they're disgusting. All of us at the table every night for dinner you know those are the moments that we can't get back once they leave for college and those are the moments that we're going to look back on in 30 years and be like do you remember all those nights of four stinky kids at the table just all the noise and all the ruckus and that's just the beauty of life on a daily basis
1: yeah and i like that that you pictured it so beautifully because people tell me like what is intentional living I feel like that's, that's an example of intentional living. The fact that you set an intention that my family is a family that no matter what, we're all going to sit around the table and have dinner together. And like you, we have dinner at different times, like I eat dinner much earlier than my family, we are having dinner, I may be having herbal tea, but It is intentional. Everybody will say, how was your day? And how was the other day? And then talk about how things could go right. And that's living intentionally. And living intentionally, maybe you get up in the morning and you know, you and I probably similar age and we remember very clearly when we didn't have email. We remember very clearly when we didn't have smartphone. But now every day, everyone wakes up and the way they wake up is to their smartphone. So they feel like they need to respond to notification. Point is, we get to decide. We feel like we are at the mercy of this electronic world. But if you don't touch your phone, you just don't look at your phone for one day and just see how that feels. Right. You're like, what? And I think that's intentionality. It's just noticing, right? I think if you live your life every day like that, to a level. I think that's a life that's not wasted. You know, we talk about the concept of time, how you waste time or you make time. I'm always like, what does that even mean? Like I read somewhere that an average adult in the U S watches four hours of television a day. I mean, it blew my mind to just comprehend that, but then I'm not surprised. If people are short with each other, they don't make human connection. If you think about all the things that make us feel happy, make us feel engaged, and make us feel like we're part of a larger thing, I can tell you passively sitting four hours in front of television
0: has zero of that. Right. For sure. It has been so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here, giving my people your insights. Just tell them all how they can find you if they're interested. So first of
1: all, I hope if you're ever in Hawaii, you reach out to me because I take you to all these beautiful pictures that you see me post every day. <laughs> and uh, people yesterday, it was funny. It was like a little rainy and people were like, how's the weather? I said, it's overcast. And and people are like, oh, it's a bummer. And I said, no, like it was 820 after I dropped both kids off and then I went for my run, I literally counted it. I saw 16 different rainbows. Oh my gosh. So if you come here, I will show you all the things. It's really, really beautiful and we're just completely lucky to be here, especially in times of COVID when we were sort of stranded on an island. There were, I'm sure there were worse places to be, but I will say, so if people want to kind of follow along, I do have the podcast, Write Your Last Chapter, and it's not only talking about how to live your you know, bucket list every day and how you live your best life. I try to give hints as to how to have, like I mentioned earlier, have difficult conversations with your kids, with your parents. So this podcast is not just for physicians. It's really for everyone. And I hope people get something out of it. And then there is a blog by the same title. And then if people want to work with me or just going to know more about uh, the coaching program, it's www.drfariol.com. Instagram, it's Dr. Faryal Michaud, M-I-C-H-A-U-D, and I promise you will not be disappointed by all of those photos. And if you're a physician, I have a Physicians Living Intentionally group, and people share art and poetry and photos to inspire each other.
0: It's just really, of all the negative things that are on social media, I'm on your Physicians Living Intentionally, and I do love it. Dr. Michaud often will take a picture of her lunch with the gorgeous scenery in the background. So there's this beautiful salad with the perfect piece of salmon and this backdrop of just mountains and the sea. And I'm always like, oh, that is the perfect day.
1: (laughs) And what you don't see is like a minute right after the photo, half of the spinach flew off because there's a little (laughs) bit of wind coming in, but I caught it when it was full of
0: spinach. So that's good. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was so nice to chat with you.
1: I'm so glad and I'm so glad we were able to record it and I love what you're doing and I love that you had that conversation with your father and I cannot wait to hop on and listen to that conversation. It was so good to see you.
0: You as well. You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 45. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon.